Welcome to Tel Aviv, Israel and the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. I'm Dave Reagan, Senior Evangelist for Lamb and Lion Ministries. We've come here to Israel to do a series of programs entitled Profiles in Righteousness. We're going to take a look at people like uh, the prophet Elijah, King David of Judah, but we're going to begin with a man by the name of Cornelius, a Roman soldier who was the first Gentile convert to Christianity. To begin that story, we need to go about a mile south of here to the ancient port of Jaffa. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Well, here we are at the entrance of the ancient port city of Jaffa, known in Hebrew as Yafo. I wanted to pause here at the uh, entrance of the city to show you an object behind me. It is a clock tower, one of three built by the Turks in the early 20th century when this area was part of the Ottoman Empire. This one was constructed in 1906. One was located in Acre, a port city on the Mediterranean coast north of here near the Lebanese border. The other, believe it or not, was located on top of the uh, Jaffa Gate in the old city of Jerusalem. This one is the only one of the three that remains. The Turks built these clock towers to uh, emphasize that they were a modern Western type culture that was very time conscious. Well, folks, let me tell you something. The clock towers didn't help. They continued to be as unconscious of time as they were before the towers were built. Well, not far from here, in fact, just around the corner is the ancient port city of Jaffa where that has been transformed today into a beautiful tourist area that is full of shops and all kinds of artist studios. Let's go there. Well, here we are at the old port of Jaffa, and just up the steps in front of me is a narrow lane that leads through some picturesque shops. It leads to the very top of a hill where we can get a great view of Tel Aviv and what used to be the old port of Jaffa. Let's head that way. Now here's an interesting site. Uh, This is, uh, as it says above the door here, the house of Simon the Tanner, where uh, Peter had his uh, uh, vision concerning Cornelius. The only problem is that there's several of these in the neighborhood. It's kind of like back in the States where you see signs that say, George Washington slept here. Well, here we are at the top of what's called Jaffa's Hill. And right over here is a statue called the Statue of Faith. At the top is the artist's portrayal of the dream of Jacob, and on each side are rather modernistic portrayals of the sacrifice of Isaac and the fall of the city of Jericho. But let me tell you something. Every time I see this statue, I only think of one thing. I think of Samson pushing down the pillars that caused the building to collapse on the Philistines. Now, over here, you can see a great view of Tel Aviv. What a contrast. I'm standing here in a city that's over 4,000 years old, and I'm looking at one that is less than 100 years old. You see, folks, Tel Aviv was not founded until 1909. Today, it is Israel's second largest city with a population of close to 400,000. Only Jerusalem is larger. 
The metropolitan area of Tel Aviv contains over three million people. It is a very modern city that serves as the home of the nation's stock exchange and diamond finishing industry. Its beaches, cafes, upscale shopping and entertainment have made it a magnet for tourism. Tel Aviv is called the city that never sleeps because of its renowned nightlife. There's a saying over here that goes like this. You go to Jerusalem to pray, you go to Haifa to stay, and you go to Tel Aviv to play. Since Tel Aviv did not exist in biblical times, it is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. But you know what? It is a biblically significant city because a major Bible prophecy was fulfilled here in Tel Aviv some 60 years ago. You see, it was in a building here in Tel Aviv that David Ben-Gurion read the uh, Declaration of Independence on May the 14th, 1948. And that declaration fulfilled a number of Bible prophecies about the reestablishment of Israel in the end times. One of the most significant is a symbolic one found in Isaiah chapter 66. In the New, Interne- uh, rather the New King James Version, it reads as follows. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born all at once? The New American Standard Version puts it this way. Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be born in a moment? The prophecy here, folks, is that the nation of Israel would one day be reborn and the birth pangs would follow the birth instead of preceding it. And you know, that is exactly what happened. The state was born on May the 14th, 1948, and the next day, five Arab nations attacked. And it has been under attack since that time for more than 60 years. Now, unlike Tel Aviv, the city we're now in, Jaffa, is mentioned several times in the Bible. In Bible times, Jaffa was a very, very important city, and that's because it was Israel's major seaport. That seaport was located right down at the bottom of this hill next to that church. The city of Jaffa is mentioned four times in the Old Testament. The first time it's mentioned has to do with the fact that it was given to the tribe of Dan. The second time it's mentioned, it is mentioned as a port of entry when the cedars of Lebanon were brought into the country for the building of Solomon's temple. And let's see, the third time was when Jonah departed on his ill-fated journey from here. And the fourth time was a repeat of one of those, and that is when the cedars of Lebanon were brought into the country again for the building of the second temple. The church I showed you below is called the Church of St. Peter. It commemorates two events in the life of Peter. The first is recorded in Acts chapter 9. We're told that a Christian woman lived here by the name of Tabitha, Her name in Greek was Dorcas. In Acts chapter 9, we are told that she was a woman abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. Well, she fell sick and died, and her fellow Christians heard that Peter was in the area at a town called Lydda. You know, that's where the Tel Aviv International Airport is located today. So they sent for Peter. He came here. He prayed over Dorcas, and she was raised from the dead. Peter then decided to stay for a while here in Jaffa at the house of Simon the Tanner. And that brings us to the second event commemorated by the church, the one concerning the Roman soldier Cornelius. Let's go down to the church for that story. Tell you what, before we go to that area outside the church, let's go over here and have a picture made with Napoleon. Wow, he was certainly a small guy, wasn't he? You know, the reason that there's a statue of Napoleon here is because he captured this port in March of 1799 during his Middle East campaign, and he slaughtered over 3,000 people here. He might have been a little guy, but he had a very big mean streak in him.
And now in this area outside the uh, Church of St. Peter, let's just stop for a moment and consider the second great event that occurred here in the life of Peter. One day he was in the house of Simon the Tanner when he decided to go up on the roof about noon to pray. Peter fell into a trance and beheld a great sheet coming down from heaven, lowered by its four corners. In the sheet were all kinds of animals and birds, and a voice suddenly exclaimed, Arise, Peter, and eat. Peter was troubled by the command because some of the creatures were unclean. They were not kosher according to Jewish law. So Peter protested the command, saying, Lord, I cannot eat these things because I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. But three times Peter saw the vision, and three times he heard the command. Now as Peter was contemplating the meaning of the vision, some men arrived at the house looking for him. They explained that they had been sent by a Roman soldier, a centurion, who lived up the coast at Caesarea Maritime. They explained that the day before, Cornelius had experienced a vision in which an angel of God had spoken to him, telling him to send men to Jaffa to fetch a man called Peter. When Peter heard about the vision from God, he agreed to go with them to Caesarea the next day. Now, before we proceed to Caesarea in Peter's footsteps, I want us to note what the Scriptures say about this man Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 1, it says he was a Roman centurion. That meant he was a Gentile soldier in charge of a cohort of men, which would have been about 480 soldiers. In verse 2, it says that he was a devout man who feared God and who was a generous giver. In verse 22, it further states that he was a righteous man, well spoken of by all the Jews. Isn't that incredible? Think of it. An occupying soldier so good and generous and righteous that he was respected by the citizens of the occupied nation. And yet, despite all his goodness and righteousness, he still needed a Savior. God had heard his prayer, we're told in verse 4, and God was sending Peter to share the gospel with him. Well, let's proceed to Caesarea Maritime to learn how this story ends. But before we depart Jaffa, I want to show you one more statue. Here is a rather whimsical statue of a whale. I just love it. It commemorates the story of Jonah. And it's located here because, as I mentioned earlier, this is the port where Jonah departed on his ill-fated cruise. You know, each time I see this statue, I think about a poem written by Carl Sandburg. It reads as follows. If I were to pass the tomb of Jonah, I would stop and sit for a while. For I, too, was once swallowed up deep in the darkness and came out alive after all. I praise God for the light He has sent into the world to deliver us from that darkness, the light of His only begotten Son, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, it's time for us to head to Caesarea Maritime to continue the story of Cornelius. And while we're en route, here's a special blessing and song from Joel Chernoff entitled, The Year of Jubilee. Sound the trumpet everywhere, all throughout the land. Follow my decrees, you must obey my commands. Gather with your families, come sing and clap your hands. It is the year Jubilee. It is the year of Jubilee. When the lame shall walk and God shall see when the Lord. That the captain's free it is the year of Jubilee. Sound the trumpet everywhere. Let the people hear. It is I, the Lord your God, 
who draws you near. I have not forsaken you, so have no fear. It is the year of Jubilee. It is the year of Jubilee. When the name shall walk and blind shall see with love, set the captives free. It is the year of Jubilee. Die, 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 Trumpet everywhere, let his praises ring. Yeshua has redeemed mankind, salvation he brings. For by his precious sacrifice, are we here standing free? It is the year of Jubilee. It is the year of Jubilee. When the lame shall walk and the blind shall see with the love, set the captives free. It is the year of Jubilee. It is the year of Jubilee. When the lame shall walk and the blind shall see with the love, set the captives free. It is the year of Jubilee. It is the year of Jubilee. When the lame shall walk and the blind shall see with the love, set the captives free. It is the year of Well, we've arrived at another port city in uh, Israel, an ancient one on the coast of the Mediterranean called Caesarea Maritime. We're about 25 miles north of Tel Aviv. Here we have a model of what this city looked like at the time of Jesus. We're standing right here next to the Roman amphitheater, which we'll see later. Over here was Herod's palace right on the seafront where he could catch all the refreshing breezes. Next to it was a large hippodrome, which we'll see later, where they raced horses. And over here were where the, most of the administrative offices were located, right in front of a huge artificial har harbor that was constructed by Herod's craftsmen. Now, it would be an understatement to say that this was a very important place. You see, this was the Roman capital of the land. The Jewish capital was in Jerusalem. This was the Roman capital. It was also the nation's main port, replacing ancient Jaffa. So at the time of Jesus, Caesarea Maritime was both the governmental and commercial center of the nation. It was a huge city by the standards of that time. Its population exceeded 100,000 and was spread over nearly 200 acres of land. King Herod went to great lengths to beautify the city, and he constructed an architectural wonder here. It was the largest artificial port in the world whose foundations were made of hydraulic concrete that hardened underwater. Here is a picture of an artist's depiction of what the harbor probably looked like in biblical times. The city's biggest problem was a lack of water. Herod solved that problem by having his engineers build an eight-mile-long aqueduct that brought water from the nearby Carmel mountain range. In the Middle Ages, when the Crusades occurred, 
the Crusaders converted the city into a fortress surrounded by a dry moat. You can see the remains of that fortress to this day. At the time of Jesus, the city had a theater that would seat almost 5,000 people. It was excavated in the 1960s, and during that time, a remarkable archaeological discovery was made. Well, here it is. It's called the Pilate Stone. It is the most important extra-biblical evidence that has been found concerning Pilate. It's a marker that states that the theater was built during the time of Pilate as governor and Tiberius as emperor. You know, it's the kind of uh, sign you would see in an American post office that would say, this post office built when so-and-so was governor and uh, Dwight Eisenhower was president. Right next to us here in recent years, the archaeologists have uncovered a huge hippodrome where chariot races were held. As you can see, it's a scene right out of the famous movie, Ben-Hur. Let's pause here for a moment at the Roman theater to consider the biblically significant things that occurred here in Caesarea during New Testament times. For example, Philip the Evangelist came here to preach early in his ministry, and he made this city his base of operations. Herod Agrippa died here, in this, probably in this theater, when he was eaten by worms. Paul ended his second and third missionary journeys here, and after his third missionary journey, he was confronted here by a prophet named Agabus, who warned him not to go to Jerusalem. After his arrest in Jerusalem, Paul was brought back here to Caesarea Maritime, where he remained in prison for two years before he was sent on to Rome. But the most important event that occurred here, in my opinion, was Peter's meeting with Cornelius. Let's pick up that story where we left off in Jaffa. As I explained in Jaffa, Cornelius was a righteous Roman soldier who lived right here in Caesarea Maritime. And as he was praying one day, an angel appeared to him and told him to send men to Jaffa to find the apostle Peter. The next day, as Cornelius' men approached Jaffa, Peter was prepared for their visit by being given a vision in which he was told to eat unclean animals. As Peter was reflecting on the meaning of the vision, Cornelius' men arrived and Peter agreed to accompany them to this city. After a two-day journey up the coast, Peter arrived here and proceeded to the house of Cornelius. As he entered the house, Peter seemed to suddenly understand the meaning of the vision that God had given him. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 28. Then Peter said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He proceeded and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Peter then proceeded to present the first gospel sermon to a group of Gentiles. In the sermon, Peter emphasized the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to how he did it. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Then, as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon the assembly and people began to speak in tongues and praise God. Peter realized it was the very same thing that had happened on the day of Pentecost. And he took it as a sign of God's approval for the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles. 
This, to say the least, was a revolutionary event. The grace of God was being extended to the Gentiles, a pagan people despised by the Jews. And now, here is Jack Hollinsworth singing of that amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed Through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come Tis grace that brought me safe thus far And grace will lead me home Shining as the sun With no less days To sing God's praise Than when we first begun Saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see Yes, I was blind but now I see
Welcome to our studio in Dallas, Texas. The story of Cornelius that we have just related to you from Israel leaves us with a basic question. How does it apply to you and me today? Well, the answer is really very simple. We live in a world where every religion except Christianity teaches salvation by good works. Satan wants everyone to believe that they can get to heaven by just being good. And you know what? He has been very successful at convincing most people throughout history that they can earn their way to heaven. But folks, there is only one way to eternal life with God, and that is through faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith. There is nothing that you can do to earn it. You cannot be saved by being born into a Christian family. You can't be saved by joining a church. Religious rites like baptism will not save you. And all the good works in the world will not cleanse you of your sins. Cornelius was a good, just, generous, and righteous man. But he needed a Savior. Before he met Cornelius, Peter had preached a sermon to the very Sanhedrin council that had condemned Jesus to death. In that sermon, Peter declared, There is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I hope so, because the signs of the times indicate He is returning very soon. Folks, we are living on borrowed time. Are you a professing Christian, but one who is trusting in your own good works? If so, you need to transfer that trust to Jesus and to Him alone. Whether you are not a Christian or you claim to be one but have never really put your trust in Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner and that I need a Savior. By faith, I receive your free gift of salvation by accepting your Son, Jesus of Nazareth, as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I urge you to find a Bible-believing and Jesus-exalting church where you can profess your faith publicly and manifest your faith through baptism. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us next week when we will take a look at another profile in righteousness, the prophet Elijah. Till then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be ready, for your redemption is drawing near. You can get a copy of this program and two others which were videotaped in Israel. They come together on one DVD and an album called Profiles in Righteousness. You'll be spiritually enriched and inspired by the stories of the Roman soldier Cornelius, the prophet Elijah, and King David of Israel. As the stories are told about their relationships with God, you'll see the actual places where the events took place. The port of Jaffa where Peter had his vision. The Roman capital of Caesarea Maritime where Cornelius lived. The cave where Elijah lived. The site on Mount Carmel where Elijah had his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. The valley where David slew Goliath. The place where David danced before the Ark of the Covenant and the oasis where David often hid from King Saul and the Philistines. This album can be yours for a gift of $15 or more. Simply call the number you see on the screen and ask for the Profiles in Righteousness DVD album. This would be a great album to use for both personal study and group study, for a Sunday school class or a home Bible study. Again, just call the number you see on the screen and ask for the DVD album entitled Profiles in Righteousness. 
Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 